Why do you feel safe? Because he observed that the other guy who had opened up did not get ridiculed. Men have been ridiculed their whole lives for sharing emotionally, especially growing up. And so we're scared. Welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a sex, love, and relationship podcast where our focus is on your most important relationship, the one with yourself. Each episode, we are joined by an insightful guest who shares their story about how they've become their best, most radiant selves, despite diverse challenges. We dive into the depths of loving yourself, creating healthy relationships, and prioritizing pleasure, play, and joy, all while never shying away from the tough stuff. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to Reclaim Your Radiance Season 2. We have taken a break over the summer to dive deeply into play and pleasure and so much love, and now we're refreshed and ready to get back into these beautiful conversations. On a personal level, they light me up and give me so much joy, and they're an absolute honor to produce. And I have learned so much in the continuous process of finding my voice over this past year. And I am deeply, deeply grateful to each of you who has been there to listen to me, even just a piece of that journey. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hall, a sex, love, and relationship coach, and this week we are joined by Sean Gala. He is a 37-year-old cis white male who currently lives on Vancouver Island in Canada. He's a surfer, an ex-pro DJ, a men's coach, a serial entrepreneur, and the founder of mensgroup.com. He is a beautifully well-spoken, emotionally intelligent human who I greatly enjoy speaking to about men's mental health, group therapy, chronic illness recovery, and so much more. In today's episode, we go deep on what elements are essential to helping men open up and share their emotions, the importance of community, the importance of sharing, being vulnerable, and opening up with people, and so much more. Again, so much in here, and I'm so excited for you to be part of this conversation. All right, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? Thank you uh, so much for joining me today. I'm excited to be here. I love what you're doing with the podcast and excited to talk about men. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I love men. Men are great. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good to hear. I'm, I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> right. I feel like there can be some mis- mixed emotions around that. Yeah. Sometimes I think, I think we're doing pretty, pretty well-meaning stuff over here at men's group. So excited to chat about it today. Yeah, me too. Um, I'd love to start with, um, so, you know, this podcast is all about radiance and I'm curious when you hear the word radiance, what does it mean to you? I just glowing, just like showing up as your full self you know, play for me, it's being playful and joyful and just like not taking things too seriously. That's usually when I shine. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel radiant right now? Like, are you, are you in no. that place? No, <laughs> no. really? This okay. morning I was, I went surfing and for the first, se- first half of the session, it was radiant. And then I got into a fight with my partner. She, we were surfing together, not a fart, just a little dispute, but uh, now I feel tired. So, uh, um, no, in this moment I am feeling a little fatigue and not radiant. So excuse me if my radiance doesn't come across in this podcast. <laughs> no worries. But overall, overall in this moment in your life, do you feel yeah. like you've, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never been this good. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so can you bring me back to, I guess, I guess, yeah. So what does that look like in your life right now? And then bring me back to when that wasn't true. And yeah. like, how did you get here? It's a great question. And uh, I don't know how much time you have because it's a long checkered story colorful story. Uh, yeah, basically now I live in a surf town on the West coast of Canada called Ukululit. 
Uh, I'm surfing every day. My partner also surfs. I've been with my partner, Katie, for three years. That's a very flowy, easy, lovely relationship that uh, I would expect we'll be together for a while. I've got a lovely dog named Ollie who makes me laugh every day. He's a cuddler. You know, we have a bit of a view from our house, which I find really inspiring. We have good friends here. Things are good with my family. My health is doing pretty well. So, you know, and I got a business where I'm doing meaningful work and it's also continuing to progress every, every day, every month, we're helping more guys and, and, uh, you know, help, help more guys find support and find places to talk about what, what, what's on their minds, which is really important. Cause I didn't have that growing up. So yeah, that's why I feel like I'm in a really, uh, good place in my life right now. And where, why wasn't it before? How did I get here? Oh, I mean, how far back do you want to go? I mean, I, I, I can give you an answer, but it's like, uh, how do you sum up somebody's life? I grew up in a household with loving parents uh, who gave me everything they had. Unfortunately, didn't have a ton of emotional toolkit. And so there's a lot of disapproval, shame, stuff like that in the household. So I went into my life feeling not that great about myself. And as I got into my teenage years and as I got into my young adulthood, like that led to me... Um, pursuing a lot of immature kind of dreams, which were great. I was a pro DJ for 10 years. I traveled a lot. I did all these lofty things, um, but I was met with a lot of adversity through those points too. So got cheated on by a bunch of partners, uh, went bankrupt in one of the businesses, lots of conflict in my family for a bunch of years there as I was trying to find myself as a man. And uh, then I moved to Mexico, which was actually quite lonely and isolating, surprisingly. It was like lovely for the first year. And then after that, it was a bit of a prison sentence. I was there for like six years. And I was just desperately lonely and struggling emotionally. Came back home, broke up with my six-year partner where I thought we were going to get married, but I just couldn't do it. So that was difficult. And then I got Lyme disease. So then I was like bedridden for a couple of years. And then slowly clawed my way back from that. That was five years and just been rebuilding ever since. And luckily, I learned the lessons from those adversities and have been able to make better choices with my partners and the work that I do and where I want to live. And so now, I, as a result, I'm in a place where I'm just kind of content most days, you know, which is a good place to be. Like there isn't, there isn't much at all I'd want to change about my life from my day to day. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, it's a good <laughs> summary. And there's is just, it? Ooh, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. Yeah. That's why I said, yeah. how much time do you have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so that, that recovery from, from Lyme disease, that must've mm -hmm. been really, really tough, right? Like coming off of all of these, like you say, kind of almost lofty dreams and being six years in Mexico and then coming home and just being hit with that. Yeah. It was, uh, it was bound to happen just because I was running. I wasn't taking care of myself. But the time that it happened was almost like a movie. I had my business was doing super well. I was flying around taking men on adventure trips. I had a men's group for entrepreneurs and we go skiing and skydiving and surf trips and all these things all over the world. And 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 I was I'd just been voted in in some newspaper articles, one of Vancouver's most eligible bachelors, which I don't even know how I made that list, but like I was in all these papers and stuff, and friends were reaching out. And so and I was a man about town. I was newly single, I was dating, having a good time. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden then went on a ski trip and was at a high altitude and, and then couldn't get out of bed. And then, you know, six, six, seven years later, I'm, I'm now, you know, clawing my way out of the last remaining bit of that. Wow. Walk me through it a little more in terms of like, if, if somebody else was struggling with a, a chronic illness in some sort of similar way, what would you say to them? 
having like being able to look on this side of it. Yeah. I would just say that, uh, well, I guess taking even one step back, what I'd say to everybody who's like scared by that idea of chronic illness is like, all I had to do was take care of myself. Like I happened to get bit by a tick and that was the thing that the straw that broke the camel's back, but really it's just an equation of total stress load on the body. I had a ton of emotional stress. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, letting myself feel my emotions. I had lots of conflict in my family. I had financial stress and I just hadn't been taking care of myself with food. I was binge eating on junk food a lot. And so then, you know, when I ended that six year relationship, which is really difficult, it kind of all came crashing down. I was avoiding myself and that's, that's why I got sick. And so what I would say to somebody who's dealing with chronic illness right now, a couple of things. I mean, there's, there's practical stuff like finding the best possible doctor possible is the answer because I didn't make much progress for like five years. I saw all these experts and then I, I started flying to see the top functional medicine doctor in Canada. He's in Calgary. He did what felt like a hundred different tests on everything, got the data back. And then we had the data. I feel like a lot of people are trying to treat their chronic illness and what they think it might be or what their friend suggests like probiotics or whatever. And when in reality, it's like not, it's usually not the case. It's usually something else. And it's usually a multitude of things. So I, I always tell friends that are struggling with illness, go find the best possible. Like if you're, if your doctor is not getting the job done, go find a better one. There's some expert out there who specializes in your thing, but really it's an emotional journey. I noticed the biggest leaps in my account in my recovery were when I did the introspective work and really and got into some of the trauma from when I was younger and released some of those emotions. I was just less angsty day to day. And then that made a lot more capacity for recovery. And then also changing some of the habits that weren't healthy, which which were like lifelong habits that were really difficult to break. And I'm still trying to break some of them today. But that that was really what moved moved the needle. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm totally with you on a lot of the strategies, but like even just, you know, getting the best care possible for yourself and really not shortchanging yourself and not thinking, oh, I can handle this myself. And I, I'm going to do all these experiments and just like the power of going out and getting that actual help, even if it's something small, if it's really bothering you, if it's really affecting your life or if it feels small, but it's not actually small. Yeah. Makes a yeah. Huge Cause difference. the body's designed to be a very efficient system. So if anything's dragging you down, like go get answers, go get data, figure out what's going on because it could very quickly turn into a worse thing. You know, like I was feeling draggy for like a year or two leading up to that actual crash that I had, you know? So I wish I'd actually investigated it. Most people don't understand how difficult it is to like flail against the medical system and find the right care. Like I probably saw 40, 50 different specialists. And most of them told me that either I needed to be on antidepressants or that I that it was chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, these kinds of things that meet, that mean nothing. Even though I had no energy, I kept flailing and finding and talking to people and ended up finding somebody who'd help me help lots of people with my exact thing. And they had firsthand accounts that the, the person had helped them and he had a different approach. And so, yeah, that ended up working for me. Wow. 40 to 50. Now that is amazing commitment. Yeah. And that's naturopaths, doctors, you know, uh, homeopaths, like and then that's not even including all the kooky woo-woo stuff I did, which some of which I still do, but you know, all I tried everything and uh, eventually got answers. So what's the most kooky woo-woo thing that you still do that you think people would be like, oh, that doesn't work, but actually works for you? <laughs> I think it's just the somatic meditation, to be honest. Just the, the meditation that I do, which is where I just lay there and breathe and get comfortable and then just hang out with the feelings that are going on in my body 
And cause then what happens is like right now I feel a bit of anxiety, right? Cause as we talked about before the podcast, like men's groups are really busy right now. There's a bunch of fires I got to put out and like, I'm feeling a little anxious. Uh, and so if I lie down with that and if I breathe and I take my mind out of it by focusing on the feelings and the sensations and sort of figure out what color it might be or what shape it might be visual exercises like that, what'll happen is the brain will get out of the way and the emotions will start to come up. So I start to feel crying tingles or whatever. And then sometimes that turns into shaking, shaking out some of the energy in my nervous system. Sometimes that turns into anger and looking at it from the third person perspective, you'd be like, that guy's fucking crazy. But that one practice has yielded me more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, the body knows and somatic practices are really coming up more these days. Yeah. That's, that's really special. Thank you for sharing. I mean, this stuff's in us, whether we like it or not, it just happens to be one of those defects of the human body that like it, the nervous system, if you don't move the energy in the moment, when events happen, it gets stuck in your nervous system. It's just like, and so you can either choose to work with that or not. And a lot of people don't to their own detriment. And I think that energy, like having all that trauma in your nervous system actually ends up leading to a lot of chronic illness. You know, there's a lot of studies that show correlations between, between children with uh, emotionally abusive or, you know, not even emotionally abusive, just like emotionally unstable households and getting chronic illnesses later. Mm-hmm. So do you think how much did your, cause you described your childhood as being yeah, a little bit emotionally unstable in ways. Um, how much did that lend itself to then creating men's group later down the line? Oh, hundred percent. Like bit of background, like my, my grandpa was working in the coal mines in Ireland when he was 11 and set out for a new life on his own when he was 15 for Canada, somehow bought his own stowed away or bought his own ticket for your steamship to go to Canada to set out a new life. When I was 15, I was wearing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle t-shirts and Velcro shoes. You know, like I didn't even know what sex was yet. Like, it's like to think how bad must his life have been to set up for a new life. He comes over to Canada, has like 12 kids. My dad's right in the middle of them. So my dad's not getting much attention. He's not getting much affection. He's not getting much love. So then, you know, fast forward to when he has me, he has no reference point for how to like emotional intimacy between family members, what that looks like in a healthy way. So uh, they did a fantastic job with me and, and they did so many things right. But yeah, that led to me being um, re- really insecure throughout most of my life. And Throughout my whole life playing hockey and stuff, I've been put as the captain, not because I'm the best player, but because I just like supporting people. And so I probably shouldn't have been a counselor to begin with, but I got down this path of DJing and business and all that stuff. So yeah, I think I think the thing that keeps me in men's group, because it's an extremely difficult kind of organization to run, very people heavy, lots of emotional people, people in emotional states. The thing that made me start it and keep me in it is what would my life have been like in our household? What would my mom's life have been like if my dad had something like this? Because he didn't have many friends. I don't know if he had many opportunities to talk about his life. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't because that was such a foreign thing to him growing up. So yeah, that's the, that's 100% the reason why I'm doing it. And I think that's why it's successful because through those hard times, you need something, a real purpose like that, You know, something that's really meaningful to keep you going. Yeah. That why that's, what's going to keep you going, not how much money you're going to make or whatever else. Yeah. So Aaron tells me that you're yes. a serial entrepreneur yes, and cool. that you've never had a boss. Nah. <laughs> I like that. My reputation precedes me. I have had little jobs here and there when I was trying things out in between business failures, but yeah, typically, I mean, most of my 27 years in the workforce have been 
just doing my own squirrely little projects like a men's group. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I guess you must have learned so much from each one, but what have you learned being on your, bo- your own boss and being an entrepreneur? Like, cause I feel like there's a lot of shiny bits and people focus on all these shiny things around it, but I'm sure that there's a lot of dark yeah. places too. Well, the first thing I, the first piece of advice I give friends who are thinking about being entrepreneurs is don't do it. <laughs> Because for me, it's like a compulsion or a disease, right? It's like, I've tried working little jobs and it's like, I had some fantastic jobs, like dream jobs. I had one job where I was working with Trevor Linden, a famous hockey player. I grew up playing hockey. He was my boyhood hero. After his retirement, he was doing retirement events and he needed somebody to do online marketing. So I was in an office with my boyhood hero, all the connections coming and going. We could go to the hockey games, just get tickets for free or whatever. Hated it. Hated it because I had to sit there and watch the clock go... Like if I was effective at my job, I couldn't leave. I had to find other things to do. And, and I have to create, like if I see something that's, it's almost like a disease. I walk around to this town and I'm like, why isn't there a Thai restaurant? Everybody here loves Thai food. And I get like upset about it, you know? So I, I have to like, it's in me. And that's a good thing because I create beautiful things. And because I have flexibility and freedom, like Katie and I went surfing this morning because my schedule was pretty clear. And then now I have a, and all of a sudden a bunch of stuff went crazy, but it comes with a lot of adversity and challenges that I think most people miss. It's really difficult juggling all the plates at once. I'm doing accounting and finance and marketing and managing all the staff. Anybody has any problem, it comes to me. <laughs> you know, customer customer issues get elevated to me. Constantly, somebody's quitting or somebody's you know we're hiring somebody new. It's exhausting and it never stops. It doesn't matter if you're doing a million dollars a year. You're in the same boat. I have friends that do $100 million a year, they're in the same boat. So yeah, the reality of being an entrepreneur isn't actually that pretty. It's actually quite stressful and taxing. I think that's a big part of the reason why I got sick, honestly. If I could work... I, I drive. There's so many days where I'm driving through my town and I see like landscapers and I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Just out there, you know, swinging a shovel around in the sunshine. Like, I mean, it's gosh. backbreaking work and eventually you get physical ailments, but you know, yeah. So standing at a desk. So sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, which oh, I often do, you know, as you know, very true. so like, yeah. and the grass is always greener, I guess is where I'm going with that, you know? Yes, it's true. But that impulse to create and that yeah. need to be creative, I think is just a very deeply human thing. Mm-hmm. And like some people are just satisfied by different levels than others, right? Like if you have a pretty successful desk job and you work for someone else and that's all kind of taken care of for you. I feel like part of being successful at that is that you have that creative outlet somewhere else. And that maybe you need a slower, like a little smaller volume of that creative outlet. Totally. Um, But yeah, you, you saying like, Oh, it's just this impulsion. And like, I have to satisfy it. Like, I think that's pretty much what it is. It's you have to do what you can't not do. Yeah. It's like, it's like a tech or something, you know, it's like, I can't change it. (laughs) It's like, it's a full on like compulsion. So and uh, and now it's now at the point where like I'm unemployable because I have like a 20 year gap in my resume. I actually tried to get a job after I went bankrupt there with my first couple of businesses and nobody wanted to touch me because I just don't fit the mold, right? Even though I have all these skills, it's like, how do I fit into a workplace? So yeah, now I'm like locked into this, uh, <laughs> these entrepreneurial shenanigans. I mean, yes and no. I feel like you could also just work from one of your other entrepreneur friends. <laughs> 
Probably, but I, I don't know how long that will, that will last because of the reasons I described previously. I'm sure there's some position out there that would suit me that I, I and I honestly fantasize about that a lot. It'd be so much easier if I could just go and do my work, not have to worry about accounting and managing the, the entire staff. And oh, the, oh, the, all of a sudden, all of our facilitator group group leaders are getting locked out of Zoom. Okay, I need to spend five hours on the phone with Zoom, elevating up their security department to try to figure out what the heck's going on and how we can get are 200 members that are trying to get in their meetings you know there, there's a lot there so yeah but at the same time you'd get bored right that feeling of like i i sympathize and empathize so much with the feeling of watching the clock ticking by and just yeah. thinking like i've just got to be here until this is done and not being yeah. able to set your own hours and not being able to like have that sort of freedom yeah, yeah for me that's a, for me that's the biggest thing the setting the hours thing because i want to this is the biggest problem i have with the, the workplace it's like i want to work around my life right if my friend is in trouble in the hospital i want to be able to go help them if my friend's getting married i want to be there if my friend has an extra seat on a private jet and he's offering it for free i want to be able to hop on that that's an extreme exversion but i've had a lot of that where friends are like hey i've rent chartered a sailboat do you want to come on the trip last minute or you know and because i'm and so like I work more than as much or more than somebody who has a job and I probably have a lot more stress and responsibilities, but like, that's worth it to me. I, I agree with you. That's worth it. That, that flexibility of time. Yeah. Like I, I work so that I can live. Yes. This is, this is my life. Like right? yeah. two weeks of vacation a year is insane. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not enough. That's, that's not enough time to live your life. I did the calculation the other day. Cause like, I'm really fortunate and I get six weeks of vacation a year, nice. but um, and that was like starting as like my oh, entry nice, level yeah. job. Yeah. It's amazing. Unheard of really, yeah. but it shouldn't be unheard of. No. And two weeks, like I calculated it out and in like a 30 year job, you would have about a year and a half of time to yourself Yeah, that's crazy. 30 years of your life. That's crazy. If you had two weeks vacation a year, which yeah. is not enough time. It isn't. Yeah. And I also want to be able to take vacations when I like need them, like when I'm burnt out or like if I've just had a. Uh, death in the family or something, you know, and what if I've already used my two weeks, you know? So I think there's a flow to life that I want to be able to work with. And honestly, I don't take a lot of vacations, but I do take day, like mental health days or like recharge days or even strategic days, think weeks like um, Bill Gates takes where he goes away and just reads for like a week, you know? I love I think that. That's, I think it's so healthy and productive, you know, but the workforce just doesn't have space for that. Yeah. Well, I get a feeling we could talk about this for so, so long because I think we're both on the same team, but yeah. um, I do want to get further into men's group. And yes, good. Yeah. So, okay. Let's start with the, the idea behind men's group, right? Describe to the listeners what that is. There are a lot of guys out there who have got, who have been focusing on their careers or focusing on their families or whatever it might be. And they don't have many friends to talk to because they haven't invested in their community or their friendships. A lot of guys, like they basically make friends when they're young and then those friends slowly dwindle over time. And it's the vast majority of men and, and it's like successful men. We're talking lawyers, doctors, athletes, professional athletes, like, or guys that work construction or guys that work at McDonald's. It doesn't seem to matter. Um, they, and they, so they don't have a place to talk about the stuff that's on their mind. And that becomes a problem when they face either new chapters in their life or adversities. Like if a guy becomes a new dad, there's a lot of stuff there that he doesn't know. And obviously he'd benefit from talking to other dads, but most guys don't have anybody to talk to about the real stuff. And the shame of it is that it's really nuts and bolts, everyday life stuff. It's actually not that grandiose. It's like, Hey, I'm having conflict with my partner or 
oh, I've got this boss, this is tough on me, or I, I really want to be more gentle with my kid, but I keep getting angry at him, or my wife just had a miscarriage. I don't know how to support her, you know, like really meaningful, real stuff. And so uh, just being frustrated that 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 didn't exist in the world, I, I created mensgroup.com. Yeah. And so you're talking about you have so many people running these classes, right? I picture it just being you running them, but it sounds like it's just... <laughs> So many more than that. Well, for a while it was me. So it's the mensgroup.com has been running for two, almost three years now. And so, yeah, basically I ran a men's group for 10 years before that called the Brotherhood, which was a men's group for entrepreneurs. And that was the one where we went on adventure trips. And so it was a lot of young entrepreneurial guys. We talk about personal stuff and we talk about business stuff, but there were a lot of guys who couldn't make it out to trips. So when I sold that due to my health challenges, I had to sell it. Couldn't run it anymore. Like I was like a little, I was like, I should make one for everybody. Like for the guy who has four kids and can't get away or for the guy who can't afford to go on a trip. And when I started looking around, I realized nobody was doing men's groups in an approachable way. Everybody was making it about their own spiritual beliefs or all these kooky practices, you know, chanting or taking your shirts off and dancing and, you know, doing weird sounds. Ah, 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 yeah. I get into your masculinity. And I was like, I kept going to these local men's groups because I'd just been cheated on. And I was like, seeing the, seeing the leaders lead guys through this stuff. And I was like, Guys, it seems to me that guys just want to share what's on their mind, primarily, you know? So, yeah, we, we, I set up mensgroup.com with that in mind. Just wanted to make it super approachable. Hey, just come have a chat with the guys. Cause it seemed like any mention, and you can probably relate, relate to this as can any of the women here, any mention of like an, anything f- too floofy or soft or that implying that the guy needs help, guys will get defensive. They're like, ah, <laughs> no, I don't need help. I'm fine. I don't need to talk about anything. So if we can make it really approachable and just really, Hey man, come chat with the guys, have a chat with the boys. Then we get a lot of guys in and, and it's working. And so, yeah, we have 40, close to 50 men's groups going every single week around different topics, around different types, saving relationships, ending relationships, recovering from a breakup, how to set boundaries, how to stop being a nice guy, how to be more, how to love yourself and be more confident, emotional intelligence, porn addiction, depression, anxiety, no more. Yes. So these groups are going, they're two hours each. We have a facilitator leading them at first to answer your question. Yes, I did all of them. I never wanted to be a men's group leader. I just seemed to be well-built for it. I should have been a counselor, like listening to other people's stuff. Even though I'm doing all the rambling here, usually I'm doing all the listening in most of my interactions day to day. And so I ended up hiring a bunch of counselors and therapists to run the groups. And so now we have a whole bunch going each week and we've got thousands of guys in the community and, and, uh, and guys all over the world. So yeah, it's turned into quite a little meaningful, impactful project. Yeah. Wow. That sounds absolutely incredible. Like, I I don't know how much this means, but like, thank you for, for doing that. (laughs) Thank you. It's nice to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, cause I mean, yeah, like it's, it's tough, right. And you're talking about all these challenges and like, ultimately that is making an impact. That is huge because yes, there are so many men who don't have places to go who take out their anger and like so many men too, that seem like they have the right tools. And then ultimately when it comes down to it, like you need that best friend, you need somebody to go talk to. And if you don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how anybody does it without somebody to go talk to. Yeah. And some people do it better than others. There are guys who can just, who could just, or people just in general, it's the same thing for women. There are people who can internally process really well, like, like put them in a vacuum chamber, like an echo chamber and they'll be fine. But the vast majority of people, and this isn't my opinion. It's it's you know all the psychological research research shows most people do well getting feedback and guidance from others and get being having opportunity to get stuff off their chest. 
I don't know how people do it either. I'm the kind of person that needs to talk. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of guys live in this subtle isolation where they have friends, they have activity buddies, they have coworkers, and they have family, but they don't feel safe sharing the inner workings of their mind or their, or their hearts with any of those people. Mm-hmm. So how do you cultivate that space for them? What do, what do you think men's group does really well or what, what places can you work on as well to yeah bring that safe space to people? Yeah, women ask me that all the time. That's always like the number one question I get asked. It's like, okay, so you get men to open up. How can, can you help me get my partner to open up? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's just such a thing, right? And Katie would probably say the same thing about me, honestly. So I'm guilty of it too. So again, like I said, I came by men's groups, honestly, I never wanted to do this. I still don't really want to be doing it. It's just, I have to do it. It's, it's sort of a purpose. I see my place. I don't know if there's any, I'm probably one of only like a hundred people in the world who could do something like this. Well, like both build the business and be the men's group leader guy, you know? And so how I came, how I came by this was I was living in Mexico and I was lonely, like I mentioned before, and then I was in a, having relationship struggles. And so I threw my friends into a, a Facebook group, just a bunch of friends from back home. And entrepreneurial friends I've met from all over the world at conferences and stuff. The women didn't get involved. And the men were like, wow, I don't have a place to talk about this stuff. So fast forward a few months later, a bunch of the guys say, this is really great. We should get together. So they fly down to where I live in Mexico and we do a surf trip. At the end of the surf trip, we sit in a circle. And the point of the circle for me was a business mastermind because I thought my business, my business was struggling and these guys were way more successful than me as entrepreneurs. I don't know if it's because entrepreneurs have more freedom and flexibility, but it, was, it ended up being all, all entrepreneurs there. And so we go on the surf trip and it's such a great time. And we, come, we sit in the circle and, and I'm thinking that we're going to get into business stuff. And the first guy goes, he starts crying. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and he says, uh, my wife had three miscarriages and I have no idea how to support her. I'm feeling depressed. Uh, my, my work's suffering. She's really struggling. What do I do? And the guys immediately were very helpful. Turns out one guy had been through something similar. So the reason why I'm sharing this story is because the next guy, all of a sudden, I thought he was going to ask an ad, a, F- a Facebook ads question or something. He asked a similarly important question. My, I, I have a five-year-old kid. My dad's a bad alcoholic, like really bad. I don't feel like I should have my kid around him, but I do want to have a relationship. How do I do that? You know, like a really honest question that this guy's clearly been thinking about. So why did that guy feel safe to ask that question? Why do you feel safe? Because he observed that the other guy who had opened up did not get ridiculed. Men have been ridiculed their whole lives for sharing emotionally, especially growing up. And so we're scared. I'm a guy who runs men's groups. I've done hundreds of hours of therapy. I've done psychedelics. I've done somatic meditation, cacao ceremonies, you name it. I run, you know, I'm in the space. I still struggle to share what I'm really feeling because there's this fear of what if. I'm rejected from the pack for that. What if people think I'm gay, you know, cause that's what I'd be called, you know, growing up playing hockey, if I shared feelings. So yeah, what I've observed is the number one way to get guys to open up is put them in an environment where they feel safe to do so, where they're not going to get ridiculed, where they're not going to get judged for being a weak partner or whatever. And so do you think that all it takes is like that facilitator coming and one, either sharing their own vulnerability or two, even just saying it, is that all it takes? Just saying, this is a safe space. You can share anything. Like nobody's going to ridicule each other. Like even setting like a verbal contract with everyone that like, nobody's going to get ridiculed. We're all just going to say, thank you for sharing. And do you want advice? I think there's more subtlety to it than that. I think in general, the answer is yes. But I think the reality is, is that they have to be in a room where they can somewhat relate to the other people. 
whether that's a shared challenge, shared issue, or shared lifestyle. Um, because if, if they're in a room with just a bunch of strangers that are completely different from them, even though they just observe somebody sharing and being received well, they might still feel like, oh, but my thing's not going to be received well. So there does have to be some commonality to it. And it does have to be in an environment where there's no you know, overlookers or onlookers. In the case of men too, I've noticed that they have a harder time sharing openly in front of women. There's some biological stuff there around attracting a mate or whatever. Um, I've seen it where guys are sharing vulnerably and then a woman shows up and in, in one of our events uh, and all of a sudden they're their chest, you know, their shoulders go back and their chest puff out. And all of a sudden they're telling stories that are a little bit more braggy or whatever. And these are guys that are happy in their relationships. They're not trying to get the attention. They're not trying to like, you know, cheat on their partners or anything, but it's like, there's this subtle unconscious stuff. So it's just gotta be the right environment is the short answer, short summary of all that, you know, similar people, similar issues, ideally safe place where nobody outside is going to find out what they were talking about. What about people who aren't gender conforming, right? Mm-hmm. We talk so much about men and women and yes. yeah, where do other people fit in? And do you think that that would really impact the safety of the space? Do you think that there would be that puffing out sensation if somebody was gender non-conforming and other people perceived them as more feminine? Yeah, exactly. It's a great question. And this is something we struggle with at men's group because we want to be inclusive, obviously. I mean, uh, some of my team members are gay. Uh, some of our most valued members are trans uh, and and people identify as different things. But um, for us, what we've narrowed it down to is if somebody presents, visually presents like a woman, it seems like guys are less willing to share. And so given that our mission is to help guys share, <laughs> we try to make it so that, you know, if if one person's going to show up, yes, we want to help them. But if it's going to affect the experience of 10, 20 people, we need to prioritize the community at large. So in short, we don't allow people into men's group that present as a woman. I wish it were different. It's not how I want it to be. It's just doing this for you know 13 years, observing over and over again. There's certain scenarios where men feel more comfortable sharing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I understand. Although that is a, that must be a huge challenge, right? Cause like you, you can't set rules in this, but there are certain like nuances that just keep happening and that you just kind of have to accept and somehow regulate that, that I don't envy you for that. Surprisingly, it's not really an issue because of how we present men's group online. We do have a lot of gay men joining and a lot of men, men of different, sex, just, just different sexual preferences, different backgrounds, different races, different places, different um, educations. Um, different countries. Um, but we don't actually have a lot of, we've only had a few instances where individuals that identified as whatever they chose to identify as, but presented as women joined. And then we get to observe how that affected the community. And so I hope it changes over time. I don't know, maybe there's some biological factors that will never be changed, kind of like gravity, you know, <laughs> like maybe it's a laws of, laws of physics kind of thing. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to turn anybody away. So it, it that definitely, is unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. So how do you think we can move as a society, I want to say, towards a place where, you know, this is just available to all and it doesn't have to be a special group? Like, particularly when you think of, you know, children and how they're raised, like, what can we do differently around young boys and adolescents, even just like as a mentor, right? As like, I'm speaking to my male cousin who's 15, like, 
what do I, what do I do that might help them? <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, it's a, such a great question, right? Cause I think ultimately what I've been observing is that society promotes junk food values. So society as a whole is promoting likes on Instagram and money and uh, status and power and all these things, you know, nice cars, whatever. However, all the psychological, the large body of research we have shows that what makes humans feel good is actually uh, like, like a really fulfilled is like community and health and family and all, and, you know, having enough money to just pay your bills or whatever. But so the problem is that everybody, whether it be a 15 year old kid or, or, or a teenager or a little kid, or like even young adults, or even us, we're constantly being faced with that barrage of like, you know, this is, this is what you should be focusing on. So the, the short answer is that I don't know. And a lot of people say, wow, it looks like there's a lot of white middle-aged men in men's group. Don't you think that's racist or why are you being so exclusive? And my answer would be, I didn't plan it to be that way. We've actually tried made efforts to be encouraging to other types of men and other races and other backgrounds and stuff. However, it just seems like middle-aged white men are really lonely. <laughs> it, it's it's probably from the English background, you know. It's but like these doctors and lawyers we have. I, I thought it was gonna be guys that are struggling, but these are successful men that are that our community's full of, and they're just really lonely. So, um, you know, I think if I was trying to help somebody in general, it's like try to get them to realize that those 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 important things that will ultimately make you happy are simple things like community and love and health and all that. Beyond that, how can we be more inclusive and like provide this kind of thing to everybody? I don't know. Like I've tried really hard to get more people from different sexualities and different or sexual preferences and different backgrounds. Uh, sorry, sexual preferences isn't the right word, is it? I, I've, I've been told that it's not. I'm sorry. And ultimately, they don't join because they don't need it as much. And it's, I've talked to friends in this, I, I have a few friends that are black, for example, and I've talked to them about, it. I'm like, why are more black people joining men's group? We have, we have probably 10 of our, 10% of our, our communities black. And it's like our African-American or, or from different parts of the world. And I've asked my friends, why is that? And it's because they have way more community through their family and through their friends and through their upbringing. And I think a lot of other people from other parts of the world are like that. So how can we open this up to everybody? I'm at the place now where I'm like, Whoever needs it will find it. You know, these things exist all over the place. And all we can do is help people, individuals that we care about that are close to us, realize that being introspective, investing in community, friendships, health, finding meaning, you know, that's the stuff that'll make us feel good. Yeah. I heard, I heard recently that the largest factor in how long a person's going to live and how healthy they're going to live is job satisfaction. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. I've seen similar studies that show that it's um, your closest relationships. And so, both but, of them. But, but same for thing. Sure. You know, yeah. it's, it's within that realm of like, you know, the really important things. Yeah. Purpose. Like when I see job, I'm like your purpose and what you do every day, what you wake up to do. And then, yeah, absolutely. Which Personal makes, relationships and community. Which makes sense because every day you wake up with no reason to wake up and you got to go do your work. Like that little stressor just chipping away uh, every day for like five, 10, 15, 20 years. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends your life early, right? Yeah. Just like how if you have an abusive partner or a partner where you're just, you, you don't share core values and every day, every, every, there's constantly running into these values that aren't going to change in yourselves. And it's like, 
I can understand how that would end your life sooner. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that that inherent loneliness that you can be, you know, the loneliest you can ever feel is when you're in a crowd full of people who don't understand you and don't it's, see yeah. you for who you are. It's which true. Which is and why, that, yeah, like not being able to present and be who you truly are is really going to be the most isolating thing. That's it. And unfortunately, I think guys feel that a lot today. And that's why I focus on men because that's all I know. You know, like I, I would love to do a women's group. I just don't understand women as well as I know men. There's just guys really need it. And the stats show, you know, the suicide rate is 80% men and the anxiety addiction percentages and violent crime rates and illiteracy rate. And it's just like these, these stats have been going like this ever since this culture became, I guess it's the other way because my camera's backwards, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, oh, ever since this culture we have from like the fifties of if you're, if you're sweet and share your share your feelings it means you're gay or or you're not strong ever since that happened it's like that's when you see all of these terrible statistics rising for men and i really do think it's a canary in the coal mine like i think it's not great for our society and a lot of the problems we see are you know being caused by men and it's like gee i wonder why yeah for sure and that's why yeah going back to thank you <laughs> thank you because this <laughs> needs to happen and we don't we don't need other women's groups to be honest because we have women's groups run by women and ultimately there is a reason why that division of that like very standard binary but obviously there's so many more degrees in there um and it's it's not a binary system but we do need to hang out with with our side of the spectrum totally yeah right? yeah there, there's something to that it's just it just feels safer i guess you know i don't know and there's just things you just understand, right? Like I can form commonalities with a woman just by talking about just, just everyday stuff, right? Like there's jokes about women always talking about their periods. And it's funny because when I had your partner on, we talked about our periods. There you and, go. Great. Right. Awesome. But it's ultimately this just very common, very like woman experience or not woman yeah. experience, I guess, but people with ovaries. <laughs> It's like, it's we just, just, we just all have this. And it's, it, yeah, it just feels good to share things in common. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's to notice differences in other people. And I don't think it's bad to enjoy sharing commonalities with people. I think that's deeply a part of us, whether we like it or not, you know? Yeah. And I've recently been really paying attention to how certain, um, especially with anxiety or depression or things like that, there's a tendency to be like, well, nobody's ever felt this way or oh, with yeah. somebody's grief. Like nobody's ever felt this bad. Nobody's ever lost this many people in their lives and all these things. And like, all it takes is seeing everybody else kind of going through the same thing and being like, right. I'm not alone. That's it. Yeah. Uh, one guy, one guy, in one of our men's groups said it really well. The most powerful two words in the English language are me too. And I think that's very true because I see it not just with like the bigger things like anxiety and depression. It's like, you know, a guy going through a relationship chat breakup. It's easy to feel like you're literally the only one going through something like that, you know, even though it's a really common thing and people have been there before and people will be there again, you know. I think it's just, uh, again, the society promoting things away from what's important community, you know, that's, I think this is a byproduct of that. It's like, everybody's just feeling kind of alone with their challenges because they don't want to look weak in front of the pack. Yeah. I mean, that's very deeply human too, is if I don't present the same, but like we used to actually get kicked out of packs for being different. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And that would mean death, right? There are all these beasts hanging out in the bushes, waiting to kill us and all this stuff. So there's, there's that deep biological fear. Evolution works in tens of thousands of years. And it was only like 500 years that we were kind of living that way, you know? So it makes sense. That's still in us and whether we like it or not. And it's just about what do you, you know, what do you do with that? 
So, you know, I started men's group for the guys that recognize they're facing a challenge and they want to access a tool to help with that challenge. And, uh, so far so good. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the praise though, because it's not easy doing these like meaning, like these meaningful projects are, are more difficult in nature, I think, because they're more obscure. There's no proven path. If I want to sell widgets on Amazon, there's an easy, I can take a course in that. Is there any course out there on how to start a men's organization? No. no, but I imagine that that's why you do it, right? Because like the way that your your creative brain seems to work is very much recognizing that gap in the market is just part of how you observe the world. Yeah, that's so true. I, I don't think you were ever going to make a widget or something where somebody else had figured it out before. You're going to be the yeah. first. Not interested in that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> to my own detriment, not interested. <laughs> but I, there is also a lot of like what you said earlier about like, I don't want to be doing this, but I feel like I have to, like, that's, that's what makes you a good leader. And that's what makes you the right person to do it because you feel like you have to. Thanks. Yeah. I honestly, when I was starting, when I was starting men's group, I was like, oh, do I really have to do something? Why can't I just go be a social media influencer or like a athlete or something, you know, or YouTuber? Like, why can't I do something that is like more shallow, cool, you know? Cause I knew it was going to be hard, but you know, life was just giving me all these subtle hints that I needed to do this. And and then I found out that the domain menscript.com was available for a reasonable price. And I was like, oh, well, how is that even possible? How is it possible that domain's available? So scooped it up and now we're, here we are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that you're very busy today. I, yeah. I wanted to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else that you feel like hasn't been said that's been left on the table? Is there anything you want to leave listeners with? So much. I think... Um, what men's group is trying to be is be the first step for men into this kind of stuff. So like we're trying to make it approachable. I'd say that every different things will appeal to different guys. So if you're listening out there and you're like, Oh, how can I get my partner to open up? Or how could I, or I have the, my brother is struggling. What do I do? Just like any tool. Or if you're listening there and you're like, Oh, I could use, uh, I'm struggling with some part of my life. It's like, just try any tool that seems interesting. Podcasts, books, psychedelics, bit of an asterisk with that one. You gotta do, you gotta do those in a safe way with professionals and stuff. Uh, th therapy has been fantastic for me. You know, uh, some people really like breath work and stuff. Just, just try stuff. You know, there's different kinds of therapies and journaling habits and, and you will, you can get over that. And the second thing is that it's, it's been really beautiful and overwhelming to see that we have 300 pound biker bros that are in gangs at our meetings. We've got hotshot investment bankers in Shanghai. We have professional athletes and guys you might see on TV and stuff. And they all actually do want to share what they're going through. So if you can, yeah, if you, if you can get around the right cir circumstances, you know, if you can get your man around the right circumstances and they, he will share, but don't take it personally. if it's not with you, <laughs> you know, because uh, there's a lot going, there's a lot of family dynamics there that are triggered with it, with romantic partners and stuff. So yeah, men want to share and uh, encourage them to get out there and do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And if, and if it, I, I do want to add just a little, cause like if, if you don't have the money, if you don't have the capability to join or anything else like that, just even doing what you did to start, right. Messaging a couple friends, getting a group together and just talking really, and just inviting that. I think that's, I've seen it done multiple times now and it's, it's so, so powerful and useful. Totally. Yeah. And I'm not even here to sell mensgroup.com. Like I'm like, there's men's group in your local community at the church. There's like, you know, lots of groups in your town, probably even the most conservative inland towns in the States or Canada or Europe, these places, you'll find guys meeting just to 
support each other through life. And, uh, it's one of the most impactful things I've ever done. I don't think I'll be half the man I am today without that. I was just in a meeting last night talking about how we're trying to buy this house that we're currently renting. And it's like, we got some bad news and I was distraught and the guys were there to go, well, have you thought about this? What about trying that? Hey, this could work out in this way for the better. And I just think that's so valuable. So yeah, whether it be men's group and we're $29 a month, by the way, so it's not expensive, but you know, if that's, if that's if price is an inhibitor, go find a free group in your town or online, or there's so many great free resources these days. I agree. Just, just take that step and try some stuff. Yeah. Find your community, find your people. Yeah. That's one thing I'd like to preach about too, is just like the detrimental effects of negative people in your life. Apparently a negative person can be six times more impactful than a positive person. So I really, it really speaks to how important it is to, you know, move on from people that are not supportive of the direction you want to go in and find people who are. And I think people aren't intentional enough about that in their lives, whether it be with dating, whether it be with friendships, you know? And so that's another thing I'd like to encourage here in my last stand rambles. Like also look at the people around you. Are they really supportive, emotionally supportive, energetically supportive of the ways that you want to change or grow or the direction you want to go in? And people can say all the right things, but often, you know, it's like how they respond to your ideas or your, your pursuits, you know, that's really says it all. So yeah, invest in your community. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Any more last stand ramble moments? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could keep going. I mean, I mean, well, you're, one, you're welcome to. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, the one question I get asked a lot about men's group is like, what's the biggest thing guys take away? Mm. And that's surprising because over the years, the one thing is I didn't expect it. It's guys, are, they say, you know, I came into this thing and I was skeptical. I've never done anything like this. And I didn't share for the first couple of meetings, but even just watching guys share taught me how to share with the people in my life. I've been able to take that back to my family and my friends and just do a little bit more of it. It's still uncomfortable for me, but do more. And so to think that even just by observing other men doing that, it's like role models, you know, most guys don't have role models for how to communicate or do any of this stuff. So that that's just beautiful and heartbreaking for me too, is that like, with just a little bit of guidance from people who are doing it already, healthy role models, you know, guys can learn these things that they find difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a mirror effect, right? Like if you're around people who it's the same as like the negativity thing where like, if you're around people who are negative, you might pick up those tendencies and start, oh yeah, I, maybe I do doubt myself in this. And like, and then, yeah, same with you see people sharing and you're going to mirror them, right? Like that is all your relationships are a mirror of yourself and mm-hmm. a mirror of your inner world. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that really helps me is just thinking of it all as, and like, and, and goes the other way too, is when like somebody else has a negative reaction to something, it's not to you. And it it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with their inner world and how they're perceiving the outside. I like to do that with like traffic, especially like if somebody's being kind of a dick in traffic and I'm just like, "Mm, I'm sorry, man, must be having a hard day. See, on a really difficult day. Yeah. That's probably the most, the most people ask me what are the most common topics that come up in men's group. Boundaries is the, probably the, the number one. It always comes back to how to set boundaries. And that's the number one piece of information I've observed in setting boundaries is you have, you have to let go of people's emotional responses because that has nothing to do with you. They could be having a bad day. Their mom could have just died. They could, this little event could have reminded them of some time when their daddy hit them with a golf club. And so now you playing golf for mine, <laughs> it's like, you never know where, what it could trigger in them. So yeah, it's all about just letting go of other people's shit and just taking responsibility for your own. Yeah, for sure. 
In terms of boundaries too, I feel like that's a very hot topic these days, which is good, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's everywhere and it's all about boundary setting. But there is, I think that there is stuff that goes too far in that there's a healthy boundary that has to do with you. And then there's an unhealthy boundary that has to do with somebody else's actions, right? Like mm-hmm. if you then start to control other people's actions yeah. towards you. And I think that distinction, because boundary setting is such a new, not new concept, but it's it's new in like more pop culture, that that kind of gets lost in translation. Yeah, it's true. You know, uh, controlling tendencies are such a common defense mechanism with people that are emotional, you know? And we see it a lot in men's group and I've, I know women that do too. And it's like, yeah, that's taking it a step too far, you know, um, really all boundaries are just protecting yourself and that's it. And so, you know, if, if you need to set a boundary with somebody around their actions, you can do that. Like if somebody's being really aggressive with you or you're, or you're being hurt by something, yeah. Say, Hey, when you did that, it made me feel this way. I'd appreciate it if you stop. However, beyond that, it's if they're not responding, you can't change them. So it's probably best to just move on down the road at that point, you know? Um, so yeah, it sounds harsh, but like boundary setting now for me is not about really the other person's actions. It's more of like observing them. It's not changing them. It's observing them. And I, I actually love setting boundaries now because I think there's no better qualifier for whether somebody should be allowed closer in my life, like be promoted to like an inner circle, you know? Because if somebody says, hey, do you want to go for beer tonight? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm really tired. And Kitty and I haven't had any time together. I think I got to hang out at home. And he says, oh, come on, you pussy. Like, my life is already hard enough. Like, I and, and I'll give my friends one. Like, we can razz each other, you know. Uh, you know, somebody's on the short leash or whatever. But but still, it's like, my life's already hard enough. Like, life is hard. And there's a lot of adversity already. I don't need that from my friends or from people around me. So because I, I have a lot of other friends who'll be like, oh, good for you, man. Good self-care move. We can have a beer another night. You free Saturday? Cool. Let's do it then. You know? So, was, but I don't think people are, are, people say it's ruthless, but I just think it's self-care, like prioritizing those people that are going to be gentle with you and supportive. And so I'm really intentional about that. And I don't think people are enough. No, I, I completely agree. And I mean, my favorite saying is just that founders are sexy right? Then yeah. it's just, it's a sexy thing. Right. And when somebody's like, Nope, sorry. Like even like you're starting to date someone or whatever. And they're like, no, sorry. Um, I don't hang out when I know that the next, like on Sunday, I don't make plans if the person is going to go out the night before. Cause I know that they'll probably, it's like, yeah, great. You've experienced this enough times. You're not going to let yourself get hurt. Amazing. You know, stuff yeah. about yourself, but totally. in the same way. Yeah. That like, that that social pressure and that like not accepting your no and that's like pushing you past that that's that's not okay and i com- yeah, i completely agree with no it's it's not harsh it's just protecting yourself yeah exactly yeah it's and it's something you have to feel every day and every day there's new ways people are trying to push your boundaries it's, it's never going to end and so what's what's interesting though now is um now i find other people's boundaries sexy when i was not good with boundaries myself i found them confronting and infuriating and I think it's because I wasn't setting boundaries for myself and taking care of myself. So whenever somebody else did, I'd be like, how dare they? Why don't they prioritize me? Why aren't they putting the same level of energy into this or whatever, you know? And, and, um, and I think there's just like, a, a, I was just upset with myself. And I think a lot of people are like that, but boundaries are sexy. My girlfriend set a boundary with me this morning while we were surfing. My tendency is to like give her tips and stuff. And sometimes she can interpret it as criticism, even though it's not intended that way. And like, which is a classic relationship dynamic. I know that's why you shouldn't really teach your partners how to do an activity or whatever. But, (laughs) but uh, she said, uh, you're doing the coachy thing. 
knocking off, you know? And I was like, I was actually kind of a little startled and like, Ooh, that's kind of, that's kind of hot actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that so much. I haven't told her that yet, but uh, <laughs> that was my honest reaction in the moment. I was like, hmm. Interesting. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> or is, isn't that what they used to say on the radio? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You heard it here first, first, folks. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Then that is you nailed it right on the head. The whole like the anger at somebody else when they're able to do it for themselves, but you can't do it for you, or you haven't respected yourself in that way to give yourself that space. Like being angry at somebody for canceling plans because they want to have a night to themselves because you never give yourself a night to yourself. And you're like, Hey, but I don't do this. So this isn't okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can see that so much. Oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's like seeing through the matrix. Once you start to work on yourself in this way, you know, you can spot it and I'm still guilty of this stuff too, but you can see it around quite a bit. Yeah. And that's why you, that's why you do these things. Like coaching and journaling, listen to podcasts like this one in men's groups, because it just makes your life easier. You just don't have as many emotional flare-ups to deal with and manage and try to dig yourself out of. So yeah, men's groups for the win. <laughs> Absolutely. Men's group for the win. And the lesson to learn today is talk to people. and talk to, yeah, Exactly. Talk to people. That's it. That's the whole thing. I don't know if I could, do, if I could preach one thing, that'd be it. Just go find somebody and take the risk. Go find somebody you think is going through something similar, take the risk, bring it up. Yeah. yeah. And, and don't take any rejection badly, right? Like you're like, try to maybe internalize the there. I'm not going to re- get rejected from a tribe. I'm not going to be left out in the forest yeah, to die. Totally. Like this instinct is not relevant to our current way of life. Just, yeah. If they say no, okay, thank you. Walk away. And that the rejection isn't even actually a real principle concept. Like I still experience the feelings of rejection, right? Like the hurt and whatever, but disappointment and shame, but like, Really, they're not they're actually rejecting you. They're they're like expressing their needs. Like if I asked you on a date or somebody else on a date and they said no, like that actually isn't really about me. It's just about the match and what they're looking for and their parent their parent dynamics and like their past dating experiences and their traumas. It's like so much that goes into these little interactions that isn't about us, but it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, oh, I feel like you just got shot or something. <laughs> yeah i've heard of like rejection therapy you go around and you get rejected by a whole bunch of people like in simple ways but just like hearing the no <laughs> apparently it works that helps. Yeah. yeah yeah it's like stand up it's like stand up public speaking or whatever or yeah or even just approaching a girl for me when i was younger is like yeah if you do it a hundred times and you get rejected or you get bad experiences eventually you'll just get used to it and you'll realize there's no neg- no real negative consequences and it'll feel more comfortable but there, there's also like brilliant performers who would like after 30 years of being a performer, still throw up before going, they go on the stage because they're nervous. So, you know, nervous of being rejected. So it's like, I don't know, that's, that's just deep within our biology. As Carl Jung said, there's just some things we aren't going to be able to shake or like talk our way through, out of, you know, that it's just in us. So just got to manage it the best you can. And in, in, in the name of what's good for you. And in this case, just, you know, talking about whatever's on your mind, because all the stats and the research shows, the science shows it, you got to. Yeah. Got to get it out. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's it for today. Great. Well, you're (laughs) smiling. So hopefully I didn't ramble too much. No, (laughs) no. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and yeah, for everything. Likewise. You ask great questions and I appreciate what you're doing out here, exposing people to conversations like this. It's just really important. Absolutely. Great. Thanks for having me. 
And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and came away with some valuable insights, the absolute best way you can show your support and appreciation is by sharing it with your friends or on social media. Your support is absolutely invaluable. To connect, find us on Instagram at Hell of a Hall or on TikTok at Reclaim Your Radiance. Or you can sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance, including local workshops, retreats, self-love courses, personal one-on-one coaching, and so much more. Head on over to the episode notes in the show description to find those links, and we hope to hear from you soon. All right, everyone, until next time, stay radiant. <laughs>